everybody, and welcome to the 51st ever Shut Up and Sit Down podcast. There's never been a podcast 51 before. Some say it's going to be terrible. I am not one of those people. This is a podcast all about board games. Uh, and no, that's it. It's just about board games. That's it. My name's Quentin Smith. Who's that on the other end of the line? Hello, I'm Paul Dean. I've just had a thought because we're continuing from podcast 50 because we had a, a dramatic cliffhanger. For the end of season, mm-hmm. I guess. We did you know indeed. what we should have done? What should we have done? We should have said previously on Shut Up and Sit Down. I thought you were going to suggest we should have played the 24 theme at the beginning of this podcast, so we're in sync. Uh, oh, yeah. Oh, can... Mm. Where, where did we leave it? You, we were going to talk about... Uh, we were going to do a folk game. We were going to really have some letters. Okay. There's a couple more board games we could talk about. Yeah, not a lot of people know this, but we actually have a forum, don't we? Where people can exchange ideas on the internet. Uh, we do, but but Quinns, what is the Purple's Choice? I have never heard of it. The Purple's Choice um, was organised by a user known as CLG9000, real name uh, Christian, and he, he, I think it's a he, is a guy who put together a giant bit of democracy on the forums, uh, and uh, in a rare case of populism being a good thing in 2016, we've got <laughs> all kinds of... Um, uh, the top eight or ten, I think, uh, results for things like best expansion this year, best game this year, and something called the first annual Eric Tengblad Award for best game of the previous year that I only got to play for the first time this year award. Uh, I I think the way I phrased that made it sound like it was an award award, which, as far as I'm concerned, it is. Yeah, sure. Because we but- don't we don't get to play everything, do we, Paul? I mean, as much as we, we- try. Well, we don't. And what I find interesting about what we can talk about here is people have um, mentioned a little bit about apps. They've mentioned a little bit about some Kickstarter games we haven't had a chance to try. They've uh, mentioned like a couple of expansions that we haven't yet bumped into. So there's there's fresh fodder here. There's just all sorts of things that we haven't actually had the chance to like even physically see in the real world. Yes, and uh, not only that, but uh, I have just realised that CLG... Sorry, 9,000? 6,000? Ah, CLG, I got your number wrong. CLG 6,000 has actually done some really funny copywriting um, on the Purple's Choice results page to do with uh, the supercomputer taking a while to tally up the results because she was doing something in Russia uh, in November, which (laughs) is great. Wow. Um, Yeah, no, (laughs) I, as always, cannot praise our community enough. And if you um, are, for some reason, watching our videos on YouTube, by the way, you're missing out because our commenters are just continually more funny than us. Mm, Yeah, no, that is sort of true. I thoroughly recommend as well that everybody actually come by the site, jump into the forums, look around, do what I do, which is kind of just quietly peek at things and let... It's like bird watching because if you you make too much noise, you scare them and they fly away. Yeah. But you can peep. We have discovered in five years of running Shut Up and Sit Down as well that if we, the staff, comment on uh, posts that we've made on the site too early, we get less comments. We do scare the yeah, birds away. That uh, is a thing. Why is that? Why I, is that happening? I don't know, man. It's like it's the difference between give, being given a blank canvas and a canvas which has a picture of like Paul's face on, you know, and then you don't mm. want to mess up that particular canvas. That's what I think. Uh, mm, Should we mm. roll into the, oh, no, Pebble's choice to come. We've played a game between now and the previous podcast, haven't we? 
well, not you and me, but individually we have played. We, we have, well, we both want to talk about like old favourites that yeah. we've replayed. Well, the Christmas season has begun, man. I talked a bit about this in the Donor newsletter in December, but my favourite question of the year isn't actually, you know, what will be our game of the year, but it's what games do we play when we shut down the site for the year? What are the classics yeah. that we return to when we're not working? And I think that always contains so much more truth than whatever the new cool box is for cool guys so do you do you want to talk about this right now because the the game that you popped in the podcast doc is like one of our favorites oh it's galaxy trucker yeah galaxy trucker of course um a vlada Hvatil game and the source of a scandal because people watched the let's play that paul and i posted of galaxy trucker on the site and thought it was rigged uh but it wasn't and rigged that was not it was by the way it was absolutely not rigged the there's, game there's something else i played where things just worked out so extraordinarily that it's not I can't remember what it was, but it was. It, we just had one of those moments where so many things fell the way that they fell. Yeah, I. Uh, it's if we were to rig something like Galaxy Trucker, we wouldn't be so obvious. By the way, everybody, we wouldn't. You know what happened in what happens in that let's play, and I'm not going to spoil it. But uh, yeah, if we were going to rig a let's play, and we have not done that yet, we would yet. not do something <laughs> so transparently fake. Uh, if that makes any sense. Anyway, Galaxy Trucker. Yeah, it's absolutely fabulous. Um, this is a game that I still recommend now. The new anniversary edition is expensive, but it's absolutely worth the money. Um, players race to build ships out of sewer pipes, um, <laughs> and then you take off in a big galactic convoy, and you fly through asteroid belts, and you get mugged by pirates, and sometimes, you know, someone's engine falls off, and they have to drop out the race. It is everything that is great about, like, uh, actual car enthusiast road trips where you have just vehicles that are awful, but you love them, Uh and but in a board game and in a sci-fi board game where sometimes aliens come on board your ship and wander the corridors eating your crew it's it's in a way it's delightfully horrible and delightfully simple because it's so uh so visual so sort of very apparent how you're doing you have this uh board with your ship on and your ship's made out of all these pieces that you have carefully kind of stitched together and you know that you're doing well if that board is still mostly intact and there are lots of little bits of cargo in your hold and there's still actually crew in the crew places. And then you know you're doing badly when bits of that just break off and you have to take them away and they were the bits that had the cargo and the crew in and you're left with sort of a chair flying through space at one square per turn, which technically still allows you to interact with the game. You know what still makes uh, me laugh is, uh, in terms of like losing bits of your ship, is when you have an alien what? and um, the way you get the cool aliens on board your ship who are like, you know, aliens who are really good with engines or maybe they're lawyers or diplomats, um, is but you need life support for them. So you have to find the life support tile when you're building your ship and affix that next to, like adjacent to a crew compartment so it's pumping the right atmosphere into that crew compartment that now can support alien life. Um, and it always makes me laugh when an, a rogue asteroid just pings the life support unit off your ship. So you've got an alien who inevitably yes. like suffocates or whatever it is that happens. But, you know, you've got a dead alien in that compartment. Um, but it's fine because maybe later on in the flight you uh, get some new crew members out of, uh, out of cold storage and you just show them their new office. And it clearly used to be a room where an alien once was and then died. Like, uh, it's, it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. It's, it's, it's okay. It, it's, the, it's the game of it's fine. Um, because, you know, the more bits fall off your ship, the smaller a target you are, the more lithe you've become, and the less likely the, you, it is that asteroids will hit you. 
this is the thing you cannot help but think things go wrong in galaxy trucker all the time and there's an amount of adapting to it and there's a large amount of just tolerating it <laughs> and i feel that i mean that you look at the manual here's the thing there's a fair amount of rules in galaxy trucker but i think a lot of them are very simple and because the game is so visual because it's so good at just showing you what's happening at, at, at representing what's going on um all you do for like lasers being fired at you or asteroids coming at you is just roll some dice see where they hit i i there's some something about the the chaos and the horribleness of it that i actually think makes it remarkably accessible and is i don't know if i would call it a gateway game but i think it's actually just really easy for everyone to pick up and understand and enjoy in like in an evening and yeah that horrible randomness sort of for, to some degree, that's an equalizer of skill levels as well. Surely. Well, you know the um, the second expansion, but more importantly and relevantly, the anniversary edition comes with these beautiful cards, which are like um, uh, they're not they're not double sided, but they've got stuff on the top and the bottom, and they are specifically for people like you and me who've played Galaxy Trucker, but are teaching it to new people. And you draw one out the deck, and you flip it over, and then all the experienced players have to do deal with something horrible. Like, you know, there's a tariff on, uh, you know, cargo slots or your batteries explode because you've got explosive batteries now or something. But the obverse of that card, that is not the right word. Um, But it's something easier for the newer players. (laughs) So you've got the same thematic thing. Like, you guys get really good batteries. We get ones that explode, Um, you know, just as a balancing mechanic. That's a kind of a wonderfully simple idea, actually. Yeah, it's it's great, and I'm surprised that more board games don't do it. And God, I love to... And as far as it being a gateway game goes, I love that it's still quite a heavy game, but, you know, you just teach people how to build their ships, and you just say, go. And then once you've built a ship, then you teach them how flying through space goes, because you're going to fly through space together, you know? It really allows the person who's teaching the game not to be some dismal teacher who's, you know, yeah. pointing at a whiteboard, but to be like your guide through an adventure, you know? Um, they teach you how something works, and then they go, no, come on, let's just do it. And then you can learn by doing, and that's great, because it's a game about uh, making yes. mistakes as well, where the mistakes are so much of the entertainment. And that might be why I'm good at it, because I'm one of those learn-by-doing people. I am so bad at, at opening a board game manual and looking. There are people I know who just read a manual, and they're like, I know how the game works now. And like, how can, how can you know that? You haven't got anything out of the box. You haven't move things but that's just how some people learn that is not how i learn yeah quentin smith it is not i well that's fine man we all learn in different ways we all learn different things uh what did you learn in the game that you have returned to this week uh yeah i want to talk a little bit about city of remnants which i actually played kind of at the end of last month uh Mm. we reviewed that now what three years ago yes and it features a segment that i quite liked our, our video review that is where we took everybody through gang school and taught them gang how to school. be in a cool gang um which of course is very appropriate given your remote backgrounds we were in a lot of gangs growing up a lot of cool gangs i was constantly in gangs growing up i know you i were um, for it. <laughs> i played this and i hadn't played it for and i got the thing that i get with a lot of old board games which is i look at the rules and i'm like i don't remember this i do not recall like half of how this functions and then within about sort of 20 minutes it's all coming back and it's it's fine but it's oh my goodness it's aged quite well it's this game about gangs taking over a city and you have um basically your gang your gang are like a deck of cards so it's a combination of kind of sort of area control where you have a board and you want to expand your gangs over the board to control more territory build things such as places that uh, take over slums or build places that 
sell weapons or drugs or things like that. But you're also building up your gang with a deck of cards and those cards represent all the cool things that your gang has and the equipment that they have. And if you have to fight another gang, then, uh, you know, the the, uh, resources that you can deploy at that time when you clash. And I I still can't think of anything that's quite like it. I guess uh, Hordes of the Underdark, which I mentioned in the previous podcast. Tyrants of the Underdark. Thank you. there's a little bit of a similar thing of marrying two different mechanics here, but it's done in a totally different way, and it really works quite well. Like, the deck building by itself works fine. You've got a bunch of cards. I'm buying a stun grenade or, or smoke grenade or something. That goes in my deck, or I've just bought a cool, uh, basically like a war drone, which is clearly like some illegal military hardware I've acquired. That goes in the deck. That's cool. Um and all of that would like you could almost just play that part of the game by itself. I think as as a perfectly decent deck builder, but then that translates to a, a good sort of mini war game area control game on the board as well, where you actually really care about everything that's deployed well, and where it's deployed. I tell you, you what, want hold, go oh, on. Sorry. Oh, sorry. No, I was trying to. Find I get a, really excited. Slot to jump in. No, it's remember just last episode I was talking about how area control games you want just a way to invest something anything into the board so you're not just i put a yes. cube down you put a cube down and i'm annoyed because you put it where i wanted to put it of yes. course city of remnants is an area control game but where no areas on the board are valuable initially because it's all just slums but as you build up gambling dens and you know barracks and factories and all kinds of stuff that the police doesn't want you to have those then become valuable areas so it's an area control game but where the areas that are valuable are things i built or you built um which yeah. is interesting no, you're exactly right. You you don't necessarily need to retain everything that you build. You can invest your you know your gang's funds into building a thing, you know, improving a neighborhood or turning it into something that's sort of vaguely industrial and is creating you resources or whatever. But you don't necessarily have to. It might be more useful for you to win a gang battle and take over a different neighborhood and abandon something. But of course, the human mind being the way it is, you tend to feel possessive about the stuff that you created and want to sit on it and guard it a city of remnants has this thing whereby when you uh when you attack a space you don't necessarily just fight the people in the space like the the various uh gang troops i don't know what the word is the various foot soldiers folks who are yeah the folks who are deployed (laughs) nearby can also join the fight so it's a it's also about like where you deploy people and how you deploy them because they can and back each other up so it becomes sort of very visually tactical in a way that's easy to understand. The deck building's really interesting. It just links together nicely, and it 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 feels like no one's really done anything like that since. No. And the I'm the ki- thing with board gaming is if you get a cool idea, people often jump on that, like, fairly fast. Well, I think the fact that City of Remnants didn't necessarily sell that well could be a reason that people... It's a bit of a shame. I don't think that's fair. Yeah, and it's a bummer for me because it was a really interesting sci-fi setting. You know, I'm so sick of like, if you're going to give me a fantasy game or a sci-fi game at this point or a zombie game, at least do something sideways with it. And City of Remnants, of course, being a game where it's like, oh, you've got this alien world with all these different races, but also you are all impoverished and subjugated by the robot people who show up occasionally. Like it was a sci-fi game where you're not these spacefaring, you know, uh, explorers, but where you are subjugated. And that was interesting, you know? I really like that mechanic as well. You do get the the police just raid places occasionally, but as you get tougher, you actually get better at potentially fighting the police. Like if they they go for a square that you control, 
Um, you, I think you can pay them off, which is usually an amount of money. Or you can look at the strength of like the, the police forces that are incoming and just be like, you know what, we could probably just beat them up and then uh, you get victory profit from as it. Well, I think. Yeah. You do. And as the game goes along, inevitably, everyone playing, you know, gets tougher and the police become less of a hindrance and they become almost more of a resource that you can you hope they might come by because you you're pretty sure you can tackle these guys man in another universe where city of remnants sold really well and i wonder if you know plaid hat probably couldn't well i don't know maybe now that they've been bought by another publisher maybe they can take more risks and maybe they can do city of remnants second edition but that game Ooh. is begging for an expansion where um a fifth player could can control the police and uh, try and keep oh. uh, I am still obsessed with that space trading game from the 80s which I've forgotten the name of again. Not Merchant of Venus I, I don't, I, It's not called Belter I don't think No, not Merchants of Venus but same sort of era where um, you were all trying to make I can't believe I can't remember the name of this but you're all trying to make money but a final player is like the space UN and is just trying to make sure that the prices for things like food and water don't go too high um, and that player also has the most devastating warships in the game so like and they enforce things like uh when someone if a player is a pirate i think then they can go and arrest you and stuff um yeah i'm yeah that is the kind of asymmetry i adore where you've got a functional game and then also another a player to consider who is basically just a complicated component i you know what i'd like to be the space un as well i would love to be the player <laughs> sat at that table wagging fingers at people yeah, yeah. Because you're too. also you're there with everybody, so you get to. It will inevitably be a thing that you talk about, where you're like, "I'm sorry, Quins, but you have made this too. You have made water too <laughs> expensive. People, people in Alpha Sector need water." Oh, you'd be so good at role playing that as well. I Just... would be such a knob. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the funny thing is, is you're the nicest man, but if you are ever given an excuse to be a twat, you are. <laughs> You embrace ah, that. That might be true. That might, you know, pu- purely professionally. In the, you know, it. I have to do that for the, the for the game. I'm just Quentin. I'm just in character. I'm just. That's what the game requires. Now I need to see your license, please. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. That reminds me of um, being sad that uh, Sheriff of Nottingham, uh, which is you know that fabulous bluffing game about trying to smuggle goods into a city, yeah. when one player is the Sheriff of Nottingham and looks in your bag or doesn't. Um, was originally themed around trying to get actual luggage through border control, um, which is, you know, like so much easier to role play. And that's kind of what players do when they're playing Sheriff of Nottingham anyway. Um, I understand that they apparently can't use that theme because of licensing issues. but uh, Oh, really? I think so. I think huh. it was something like, uh, I don't know, someone at some point, if memory serves, bought the license, but that didn't include the theming or the name, so they had to rename it. Oh, I see. Yeah, I don't know. But definitely that game would be better if it was still themed around, like, trying to get, like, a live chicken in your suitcase past a guy who's just an awful Mexican border guard or something. I would, I'd be pretty okay with that. And me too, me too. Uh, is it time for us to move Do you, yeah, to the main Yeah, I think it is. Event? Do you want to talk about some of these purple's choices? Should we talk about the categories first? We've got basically four categories here. Yeah, we've got the 10 best reprints of a game previously re- released before 2016. We have the 10 best expansions published and or released in 2016. Mm-hmm. We have that Eric Tengblad Award for the best game that we played this year but didn't come out this year. <laughs> Which I can relate to. 
Uh, and the Purple's Choice Best Game Published and or Released in 2016, which is basically, you know, it's the prestige character category. It's the it's the best film Oscar. Well, we can agree we should do that last then. Should we just do these in the order that uh, CLG has posted them? Very well. So uh, a reprints of a game previously released, which is an interesting idea for a category because some of the stuff in here is quite old, but it's stuff that we've, we've been excited about as you, well. You know, I wonder if this is actually my favourite category. I love nothing more than when people take a great game and just make it better and fix the few flaws, but mostly just give it a beautiful new uh, lick of paint. I love that. I love that to pieces. And... I think I love it because it allows me to get excited, you know, even if um, uh, there's a new game that I feel that I like the designer and I'm pretty sure it's going to be good. Um, I still can't get as excited than as if I know there's a classic that I haven't played that's being redone because that is like just so reliably good and I know I'm going to have a good time. Well, we've got a great example of this, and I hope I'm not jumping up the table too... I, I am hugely jumping up the table, but there's Ra in here at second place, and we liked the re-release of that. You did a video of that this year. I remember us uh, playing that at FFG when they, they were like, oh, this is going to come out again, we're working on this, and we had... We really enjoyed that. Yeah. Um, you know, in terms of a reprint or a restyling, um, I've got to say that I like the game of Ra, and I was more impressed by discovering Ra this year or last year or whenever it was, um, That which, which I actually played this week even because it's so Ooh. good. I played Ra and Samurai in a kind of nitsier evening, and we had a great time with both. Um, but yeah, <laughs> I found the re-release of Ra, and as much as I will always say that Fantasy Flight are fantastic curators of pre-existing uh, games and licenses, um, I think their edition of Ra dropped the ball a little bit. I love it, but it's too expensive mm. for what it is. You do not need the plastic statuette in the box. No, um, you don't. No, and uh, you don't need all the indenting they did on the board, and I wonder, like, come on, remove those things, and we've shaved the price by how much, you know? Even if it's just a few dollars, that's a few dollars I'd like to see off the price, because it's an expensive game. It's also, though, the definitive edition of Ra um, at that price, and yeah, I love it. What a game. What a game. I am really surprised that I've heard you say I had a good evening of Knizia games. That's a phrase I never thought would come out of you. Uh, yeah, I. Uh, what can I say, man? It turns out that early Nitsia is really, really good, and we didn't know. And that's not really our fault, because the guy has been putting out a lot of... Uh, not so exciting games. I mean, it's it's fair to say that. Like, anything else would be a farce, considering he's put out literally hundreds of board games. No one can put out hundreds of good board games. It's just not the case. That's Calm true. down, Reiner. Um, but yeah, his early game is absolutely fantastic. We've also got in this category uh, Escape from the Aliens in Outer Space, which, oh my God, that brings back memories of like five years ago or something. Mm, well, this is, uh, well, now, this has uh, got more votes than Ra, so it's number one, but it's also tied for number one. It is. There is one other game here that we will reveal. Um, but yeah, Escape from the Aliens <gasps> in Outer Space. What a lovely game about accidentally eating your friends. Well, you don't know that they're friends. I mean, it's all it's hidden movement around these hexes and you're sort of cagely announcing things like there is a noise from this hex. Yes, the plot, um, the plot of this one is, uh, if you didn't see it, because Paul and I did the review very early on. A written review, though, yeah. so it is on our site if you want to Google it. But Escape from the Aliens in Outer Space is a big, large-scale party game where everyone has a piece of paper and... Uh, all the lights have gone out in your ship. Everyone has to make it to the escape pods, but that is a problem because half of you are aliens who want to eat the humans. 
Uh, but you don't know. You don't know who is who. So you don't. You, if you're very hungry, you may accidentally eat your alien friend. <laughs> you might. <laughs> yeah. Um, and that's great for the humans because then you've thinned out the number of alien players. Uh, the main mechanic in it is that if you move onto... Uh, your ship is a mixture of white hexes, which you can move to safely, and then you just say, I've moved, and that's your turn. But that also does still give people the information that you've moved onto a white hex. Um, or you move on to a darker hex, which involves drawing a card, so you've telegraphed that you've moved on to one of the darker hexes on the map, and this card will either say one of two things. Either it'll say, you have to reveal to the table where you are, which is, you hear a noise from hex C7. Or the yes. card will say, you just tell people there's a noise from any hex of your choice. So you then tell the table, you hear a noise from hex D9, but it's a lie. And everyone knows that... Uh, and that's the beauty of it, because sometimes you draw, step onto a hex, you have to reveal where you are, and all the players are going, is is she lying? Uh, lovely. It's, I, I, I really miss this now, actually. And I think the new edition is basically like dry erase. It used to all be on paper. Oh, really? It used to be that you... I think so. I think, the, uh, I think it's all on... Um, I can't remember the word for it, like acetate stuff or something. And you yeah, can basically yeah, yeah. use a wipe pen the same oh, way you would with Captain Sonar. Like the excellent uh, Looney Quest as well. Yeah, so players are drawing on acetate placed over maps. Something like that. It's, it's either the new edition or the ultimate edition, but it's one of the ones that is like that is around now, which is just immediately more practical because you are not throwing lots of paper away once you've used it. Mm. Yeah, if you can regularly get um, uh, five or more people to your table, I would absolutely recommend Escape from the Aliens in Outer Space. Probably the scariest board game I know about in terms of just tension and fear. But Quentin, what is the other one tied for number one? The other game tied for number one that the Purple's Choice was the best reprint of a previously released game. I'm never going to get that position hosting the Oscars now, am I? I'm terrible at this. Is Sekigahara. Um, I... I have to admit, I don't know what that is. Uh, well, Paul, um, you and anyone who doesn't don't know what it is. Oh my god, my grammar! What is wrong with me? <laughs> um, can Google uh, Sekigahara, which is which is spelt how it sounds? Um, it's a war game that Matt Thrower reviewed on our site a while back, and it is maybe the most beautiful war game he ever reviewed for us. It is a gorgeous Japanese-looking um, war game where, with uh, units that are wooden blocks. And it's one of those war games whereby, Paul, you and I will each be fighting over Japan, but with our wooden blocks representing our armies, but they're all turned away from each other. So you yeah. know I've got an army here and an army there, but you don't know what's on the other side. And there's a couple of war games that do this, and it's really simple, but I like it. Mm. I mean, it's I suppose it's like the... Strategic, stratego, strategio thing as well because you, you know, you basically have those units that face you. You always know what they are. Your opponent has no idea at all. Yeah, um, and it is supposedly a classic. It looks great, and they've done a reprint. Um, and I don't know if there's anything necessarily different in the reprint, but I think people were just excited to be able to buy it again. Um, definitely, if you have a friend who wants who you want to play a serious game with, I would absolutely look into Seki Gahara. <laughs> Good work, mate. And I, th I think it's really interesting that we've actually got Wargame at the very top as well because we do cover Wargames of like various degrees of complexity or seriousness or severity, but they're not quite in your or my wheelhouse. And I wouldn't say like it's the focus of our community. No. So I think that says something about how popular that's been, that that's jumped up to the top spot and people, what? you know, are enjoying it so much. You know, what I would choose to read into it is... Um 
people are interested in war games. They know that these games are magnificently designed and have so much love poured into them, but so often how these games look is a stumbling block. Sekigahara is one of the few games Matt Thrower talked about that I'm desperate to own, uh, precisely because it looked so beautiful in addition to yeah, being mechanically beautiful. Um, but I think it's also the only heavy, like very expensive war game I know that looks that good. Um, so, hey, GMT Games, why not, you know, hire an art designer, maybe? Uh, who's really good? Look Sass. what it's done for uh, Vitor Lacerda, working with that guy who did Vinhas Deluxe, Scalarist, and uh, soon Lisboa. Guy's great. And he's a fan of do ours, you... actually, so maybe he's listening to this, and if he is, hey, man, drop a comment and tell us how you do what you do on the site. I was about to say, do you want to jump into the next category? But briefly, I just want to say there's Space Hulk and there's Blood Bowl in this list. Yes. Which says something about Games Workshop's... Um, Sort of endlessly reprinting or reinventing things. I I feel like Games Workshop live in this cycle of things are available and then they're not, and they're available and then they're not. But the periods of things not being available seem quite long, and for many people they are they are like drought periods of sadness. Yeah, I think it's a bit of artificial scarcity as well. You know, like Space Hulk has the reputation it does, I think, purely because it is, it, it's, people can't buy the thing, you know? It's never there. If something like, I don't know, uh, pull a name out of a hat, the Battlestar Galactica board game was similarly unavailable, I have no doubt that it would uh, be spoken of in similarly reverent tones. Um, Blood Bowl is an interesting one in terms of the board game because um, you and I are actually just about to start a Blood Bowl, a League of Blood Bowl to the video game with some friends over Christmas. Uh, that is going to have some coverage on CoolGhosts.net, Matt and my video game website, um, in the new year. But looking at games what we released Blood Bowl, Cyanide, the um, video game developer, have had that license for a while, and they have a really feature complete Blood Bowl now. And looking at their, you know, the new edition of the Blood Bowl board game, it seems just like so barren compared to what Cyanide are doing with the uh, over on the video game side now. Um, and I don't know if GW have the flexibility to catch up with it, but we'll see. I guess um, with I, I am still as big a fan of like both video games and board games, but occasionally with, with Games Workshop being like the the sort of lords of collectible or expandable things where you know you buy you buy an elf army for fantasy battle and then you maybe you need to buy a skaven army or not there's just there's something very easy that you can do with a video game where you just add things to it whereas well, with a board game especially if it has miniatures that could get costly and you know that becomes a whole different level of commitment and financial financial commitment oh my god i just had a thought you know your um uh kingdom death review that's currently at the top of the site your excellent video review of kingdom death monster imagine if kingdom death monster was like a really solid like you know ipad adaptation there are a lot of people saying in the comments that it would work maybe better as a video game and there are people saying things like uh they they i mean there's a companion site or app or something where you can do get the site to do some of the bookkeeping for you and there are people saying i prefer to do this this way i find it a bit easier and admittedly i think that would take some of the heavy lifting off it's funny that you say this because this is related to something i want to talk about in the next category oh okay let's move on to are you ready because yes. i'm gonna jump straight to number one is that okay jump wait, what no no it's okay <laughs> do you know how this works I I have I have no patience and Look, I have man. no what's that thing you're supposed to do with kids where you you're raising them and then you um 
you teach them restraint and sort of denial and reward where it's like, you know, you can have one cookie now or if you wait, I will give you two cookies oh, later. I'm just the one cookie that now, kids, kid. Dude. That's just a scientific test that kids fail, supposedly. Oh, okay. It's I, like I, it, I, the test is you can have a marshmallow now or if you don't eat the marshmallow, you can have like three in ten minutes and kids yeah. always fail it. You know, it's I mean, I don't really know. If, oh, yeah, you, like, if you gave me a the parent, kid, they... the other thing you should do. Yeah, what's that thing where you put that your kid in thing. the prison with 10 kids and then five of the kids are guards and five of the kids are inmates. And then, yeah, that's something that you have to do to kids, right? That's just my school. That is, uh, I never thought I'd make a Stanford prison experiment joke in my career. Okay, no, I'm, anyway, I'm going to take, all... <laughs> I'm going to rip the number one slot away from you. You're not allowed to okay. open that envelope yet. We're going to at least do like, I don't know. Let's go from number four because I'm interested in number four. So our our audience's 10 best expansions published or released in 2016. Number four is Betrayal at House on the Hill, Widow's Walk, which Mm. um, is a very... I was stunned when I found out what it was. Um, Betrayal at the House on the Hill is a very weird sort of B-movie simulator where you and some friends explore a spooky house and then... After being bored by this spooky house for like 25 minutes, the game goes, but one of you is a betrayer! And then you flip to one of 50 different scenarios. Maybe that betrayer player is a vampire who lured you into his lair. Maybe uh, that player is really a spider. Maybe the house is picked up by a bird and flies off into the air. Maybe it is a UFO and just flies away. Like, there are endless surprises in this game. But I don't know anyone who's played it more than like five times. And there are 50 scenarios in in the box. So when they announced an expansion, which was like 50 new scenarios written by celebrities, and they asked if I wanted a copy, I'm like, what? not really? You know, isn't, uh, am I being cruel? That makes sense, No, right? no. So here's a thing that I should have mentioned and never did. I actually briefly played one scenario of this a little while ago. Okay. And it, the thi- we, we've never done like a full review of House on the Hill, have we? We've no, talked about it or we it did was a, something we threw It around. was something we did in our rapid review special back in like 2013. Yes. And we basically said then that the scenarios are hit and miss. Some of them are good. Some of them aren't so good because they're all trying to introduce different rules, different ideas. And the good ones can be fun and the bad ones can be really bad. Yeah, it is like one of the greatest games ever in the specific circumstance that you and your friends don't care if a game is good and are drunk and are in a funny mood. Then, And if you, know, you get one of the better scenarios. Then it's the best game ever, right? But, you know, those are, that, that circumstance does not come over very often. We, we tried one and it was not a very good scenario. Oh, really? Do you remember who no, wrote it? it? Not to drop I can't remember who well. wrote it offhand. I, uh, if you want, I can talk about what happens in it, but I feel that's a bit of a spoiler. We had a problem that me- mechanically it didn't feel like it quite worked and the rule description was not as good as it could have been. And it, and it, it was a thing where the betrayer goes away, looks at it and goes, I can't quite work out how all of this works, but I assume that everybody else in the group uh, has like enough info that they can work out how things work. And we were the same. We were just going, I oh don't my God. quite get what's because, happening. Because, yeah, and the players and the betrayer have to then read different entries in the rule book, right? But yeah, coming together, um, you find out what you have to do to win. And you know you get those like those heart lockets where each of you wears a chain and then you link them together and they click and they say, we're best friends or we're, we're lovers. And it was like just... One of those two, two things. Don't buy the wrong locket for... You know. Yeah, it was just completely, we did not have the same locket and it did not link together <laughs> and we were not lovers. We were just people fumbling through this thing for like an hour. Yeah. And it went wrong. 
and then both of us going, did that make sense to you? No, that didn't make sense to me. I mean, yeah, I can't imagine. I, I kind of, I get, I can imagine the meeting where the people at Hasbro or whoever it is uh, was kids. Um, I, those companies all blur together for me. Uh, but where they had that meeting and were like, oh, we'll get celebrities to do them. Yeah, perfect. But that's not what I want from Betrayal at House on the Hill. When they announced they had a surprise coming for it, I knew for sure I would have put £100. I would have put £10 on it being uh, a new addition, you know, where it's like, hey, we fixed all the crap components and the bad scenarios and we made it nicer. But instead it's like, we made an expansion for the game that's bad that is also like eight years old or whatever. Bizarre, bizarre. Oh my word. It's, you know what, I'm sure there's stuff in it that's good and I bet there are some scenarios in there I'd really enjoy and they're they're probably from some of the people who have, uh, like there are people involved who clearly have like cool game backgrounds, but I think it's a crapshoot. Yeah, sure. Um, So moving on to number three, it's actually uh, Evolution Climate. So Evolution being an interesting game where you evolve species and eat each other. um, And you either evolve like a race of chicken nuggets or a fabulous lithe predator. Um, That was kind of expanded by Evolution Flight and it kind of made the game better, but it was kind of not as interesting. And now Evolution Climate is this box, which is a standalone game. Um, So... I guess I think I was less interested because they'd taken a game that was sort of almost there and then released like a third box that rendered the boxes I had less useful. Um, It felt like an awkward handling of a property uh, to me. But hey, if people are playing it, I'm glad they like it. It certainly, I mean, it didn't score huge in the voting for this. This seemed like the category that people were less excited by, but it worked its way up to the third place. Hmm. Uh, okay, and then moving on. Uh, oh, well, now, now. This is a clash of two titans here. Uh, number uh, two slot was Colt Express Horses and horse Stagecoaches. Stage uh, mm. I just did a review of um, Colt Express's this first expansion and the expansion coming next. I think this is a huge expansion because it takes a game that I frankly didn't think was quite good enough to buy. Brendan agreed with me in his review on the site. And turns it into a game I want to play. Like, it just adds that much little... It doesn't even add that much more game. It just adds a bit. And that was what was needed. And uh, by adding a third dimension with a stagecoach and horses, you jump between. It's great. like it a lot. And the show of expansion is similarly cool. We played uh, some of that at the UK Games Expo as well, didn't we? We got to jump between a horse and a stagecoach. Yeah, we did. And the train. We did. Uh, what's not to like? Jumping between things. Uh, but interestingly, this expansion, which takes uh, a mediocre game and makes it into a good one, was actually pipped to the post by another expansion, the Road to Legend app that you wanted to talk about. So why don't you take it away? I think anything that takes a bit of the heavy uh, the heavy load, that's not the work, work, the heavy lifting. There we go. There we go. Anything that takes, we'll get there in the end. Anything that takes the heavy lifting away from players is pretty good in board games. And I am, I'm still okay with like, you know, that D&D thing, or uh, I used to do this a lot with versions of Hero Quest I played when I was younger, where you still have like paper where you scribble down notes about like what equipment you have and what things you've you've done or what treasure you've obtained. I think that's cool. I like that. But I am really really getting into the idea of app supporting board games by almost like being a butler for you a little butler who is just 
there to take away some of the workload to complement the game experience, like somebody clearing your drinks away and refreshing your glass um, and just reminding you that something has to happen at a certain point or all this sort of thing. And I've seen a lot of people really quite complimentary about this app and a lot of people who are excited that it exists and it's making them play more and it's making their playing just easier and more pleasurable. And I'm wholly okay with that. I think that is the right way to use an app. And please, people out there, if you are able to, if you are thinking of having an app that integrates with your board game, if this is a thing that you feel there is a space for or that it will make your game easier consider doing it if you have the resources i am don't 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 be the the luddite faction that that's like oh we don't need this or we don't want this just yeah it's great please here's the thing yes go on this is to continue your butler analogy the roads legend app doesn't just sort of like take clean your glasses away for you um it actually removes what was the most awkward part of descent and the thing that led to the most problems which is it removes the overlord player um, it turns out turning the game into a fully cooperative experience, um, exactly what they did with Mansions of Madness Second Edition. So, but to better. me, this is more like a butler coming in and saying, uh, "Excuse me, sir. No, you've had too much to drink. I've hidden the keys to the Ferrari. You were only going to drive it into a lake anyway." <laughs> because I like being the Overlord in Descent. I like, even though it's awkward, even though it re- results in a bad game sometimes. I like that asymmetry. You know, um, I'm I... not. A- Go on, go on. Well, I'm not against apps. Um, I'll prove it because I love the idea of the XCOM board game, if not necessarily execution. I like Alchemist. Yes. We can agree that Alchemist is great. It's very good. Um, But, yeah, I don't know. If I'm playing Descent, I kind of want an Overlord. I I think that's valid. It's And I think there's still room for people to enjoy the game and play the game that way. But I... Thinking back to things like the, the enormous campaign that we did, which I'm broke wondering because of the overlord mechanic, yeah, yeah. I mean, that gradually became imbalanced, but also I'm thinking of how much the overlord does in terms of choices that they make versus how much is the overlord just like putting the board together and putting out the monsters and saying this is here. And because it's one of those things where I feel like like automated checkouts you take the person out of it and obviously the experience is different but you may not have lost as much as you first thought sure strange saying that because i love gms and i love that sort of player who is able to be that maybe that arbiter or something but i don't know if descent is a game that is horribly um disfigured by having that cut out no, I mean, really, it just gains a lot. It gains a whole new co-op game, and it's getting a free update with, like, a new campaign as well as stuff you can buy. So, absolutely, you know, that is great. That's great guns. Mm. Uh, and I think the fact that not only is it, I think, free, but they're releasing free content for it means easily it's number one. You know, talk about a game that breathes a new lease of life into your uh, thing. Uh, sorry, not to just sort of take a break, but I've just got an email, uh, Paul, to the uh, contact at shutupandsitdown.com email address. Um, uh, hi Quinson Paul says uh, Eric Pavany he learned of our site from Stonemaier Games um, and he's telling us about uh, a new uh, dreidel accessory you know what a dreidel is Paul? yes it's a little bit like a die crossed with a spinning top yeah you spin it it's a Jewish thing um, and it's this is a new Kickstarter hearing about uh, it's a dreidel arena uh, and the tagline is the dreidel has a home this Hanukkah 
It's called the Spinagogue. Uh, that's everything. We can now move back to uh, your regularly chosen purple's <laughs> choice. There we go. That's thrown me. I've got to go now. I've got to go and lay down. I had to share that with someone because it was just going to ricochet inside, inside my head like a dreidel in a spinagogue. Like a dreidel in a... Sp- uh. <laughs> you got to say it. Say it, Paul. The prestigious first annual Eric Tengblad best game of the previous year I only got to play for the first time this year award. It's the award is... on everyone's lips. <laughs> Ah, this... Uh... The voting was a little thinner in this category. That's fine. Maybe we should do the whole list here. Um, also, if you want to see the full list of like 10 games um, of all the categories, Paul and I are only picking out highlights. Um, just head to the forums and look for the uh, search for the Purple's Choice. Purple's Choice. So at number eight, we've got A Study in Emerald, second edition. And also number eight, we've got Through the Ages, A New Story of Civilization. Ugh. Yeah, Paul's review got posted on YouTube recently, and that means lots of new people watched it, and he got some abuse. Paul, Paul. I like. I just played a two-player game. Not I just played, but I played a two-player game of that with Nels to just play through a two-player game, and that alone took us like four and a half, five hours. That Did was Nels just a whole it? evening. He no, I mean he was like that's fine. I have done it. He said I think I've his comment it. was something like uh, now I can say that I have done that. Yes, like um, we pushed through to the other side and some things happened and it was fine. But also, it's one of those games where you know at the very end of the game you're doing mostly the same things that you were just doing at the start. The numbers are bigger. That's all. Yes. Uh, yeah. That is absolutely a thing. Um, mm. If you want to do that, like, buy nations, everybody. If you want a drab uh, journey through history, <laughs> buy nations. It's really good. Uh, the best favorite game of uh, John Gilmore, designer of Dead of Winter, I think, is nations. And there's a new expansion. So, hey, buy nations. Um, we've also got in this category uh, The Gallerist at number seven, Burgle oh Brothers, number six, Blood Rage at number five, Time Stories also at number five. Uh, I, I'm going to have to talk about Time Stories again in the new year, actually, because reviewing Arkham Horror, the card game, uh, has a similar thing where, you know, the base set comes with some scenarios, and once you play them, you're kind of done, and then you need yes. to buy new expansion for new scenarios. So I'm going to have to talk about yes. why it's better than Time Stories. Oh, dear. Um, number four is Isle of Sky. Number three, Hooray! Seven Wonders Duel. Uh, number two, mm. Pandemic Legacy <laughs> Season 1. Hooray! Hooray! Uh, but at number one, and rightly so, is Mysterium. Hooray! Absolutely awesome game, given an incredibly beautiful new edition by Asmodee. If you don't own Mysterium yet, my God, what the hell is wrong with you? It was our game of 2014. And frankly, if it came out this year, it would be my game of 2016 as well. It hasn't aged. Wow. It's still ace. Oh, don't you think so? I... Well, I mean, obviously mine is 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 Inish, and I I don't think it would have knocked Inish. It might have, it would have probably, it would definitely be in the top ten. It would probably be in the top five. So it would be like a game that I've enjoyed and played quite a bit this year. So it it would get praise, but um, that is that is thin praise for such a great game of ghosts. It's it's a it's a good yeah. It's a year of like Captain Sonar and Inish and other things. Sure. Uh, yeah. Mm. Right, uh, yes. we're running out of time, so let's uh, <laughs> drive this awards to the main... I still i am not going to get that Oscars job. I don't know. This is so much harder than it looks. I would watch the Oscars if it was you. Hello, everybody. Now it's best. It's an actor, actress, best. She's the best. It's, now uh, we plunge into the hotly contested sauna topic of best editing... Um, 
So chop, chop, on we go. <laughs> That's what editors do. They chop. I'll be here all night. I'm, I, I might be here if they don't throw me away. Right. And then the music starts and the microphone goes away and you have to leave. <laughs> yeah, the spotlight is taken up. No, my mic, they cut the input to, input to the mic, so I'm just tapping on it going, hello, hello. <laughs> my, my voice echoing. Um, okay, so. We've got a tie, first of all, for like eighth place. We've got three-way tie. Well, if people want, I, I would like to drive people to our forums. Let's not reveal everything. Why don't we do, just like you and I did our top five last episode, why don't we do their top five? Straight into the top five. I love this tradition. We should definitely do this again next year. This is so much fun. In fifth place, then, we have Star Wars Rebellion. Ooh, I'd forgotten that was this year. It was this year. Did you you get a copy of this one and play it after FFG? Oh, have you played this one, in fact? Because it was Matt and I who played it at FFG. You played most of it at FFG. I've played it since. I don't have a copy, but a couple of my friends do. Nice. And I quite like it but i wouldn't recommend it and i've had games that have been like over disappointingly quickly because the rebels kind of by luck were found too soon yes the um i definitely still stick to the the main criticisms i had which is like it's such a great idea and it has such great ideas in it and it's surprising that some bits of it are so like weak um it's i feel like fantasy like really let themselves down by uh need whoever it was at the company who needed it to have like that complicated dice rolly combat which just so doesn't fit the game you're playing a grand tactical game and then they also tried to put in a sort of mini unit on unit game that is really disappointing which is uh, a shame because i like the uh the idea that you have all these famous star wars characters and you send them to do stuff they have their cool like missions that they do hmm. and then maybe luke and skywalker I- gets frozen in carbonite Yeah, I like those things. I like, uh, you know, having all those Star Wars elements, those characters, and it's like you sort of put them in a tombola and you spin them around and it makes a a different Star Wars narrative, but it makes one that you still recognize and relate to. Well, this is the Um, thing. I think um, it is interesting, actually, to compare Star Wars Rebellion, which is kind of like this new slant on the original movies, to Rogue One, which isn't entirely fair, but like... Rogue One is an example of what I wanted from Star Wars Rebellion, which is same universe, recognizable locations, but it's a completely different story. I mean, I'm going to see that tomorrow. Actually, it's also not. It's fine. It's a fine movie. It's is fine. It? Mm, mm, yeah. All right. You'll li- ah. look. For- enjoy the middle of the movie while it lasts. Is what I'll say. Ooh. <laughs> um, yeah. Anyway, uh, don't leave a comment if you disagree with me. Um, yep. so, so, but uh, but Rogue One is interesting purely because it's like you know, like I say, uh, this is Star Wars, but it's not Star Wars, and that's kind of what I wanted from Star Wars Rebellion. But instead, of what you get is this like fan servicey thing, where, as I said in the review, anything the only things that can happen in the universe of your game are scenes that happened in the original movies. Yeah, um, very curious to see if they expand it, um, but I don't know how they would. I mean, I'll be curious to an expansion partially because it'll let me play the game again, and I do love certain things in it, like hiding the Rebel base. Um, But also because I'll be fascinated to know how they approach an expansion for it. Yeah, that will be interesting, and perhaps it would make it more appealing. But there's certainly ideas in there I liked, and again, the the cat and mouse of... Clearly, like, there is a rebel base somewhere and you go around looking for it or you can even just blow up planets with a Death Star. Yeah, it's great. That's quite cool. It's just great. You know, I I wonder if... uh, I wonder what my review of that game would have been like if an editor had gone into the final part of the game process and gone, remove 
all the bad things in this game, remove everything that doesn't work, and then lower the price by $10, $15. Shrink the box, you know? Um, I wonder what that, you know, game would have been like. Speaking of lowered prices, hey. the next game, nice. we talked a bit, a bit about this last time, but the Love next segways. game on the list is uh, mechs, and mechs versus Minions. Yes, now it's interesting that while this got half the votes of the game in the number one slot, um, it hasn't, like, not that many people have been able to get their hands on it, right? Um, mechs versus Minions had tremendously limited uh, availability, and I think probably yeah. uh, maybe half as many copies as people actually wanted to buy it. So... I want to say that if Riot had been able to manufacture as many copies as there was demand, this game might have got double the votes, and it might have, if not been number one, it might have been number two. That's something it to has, consider. Yeah, it's been very well received by lots of people. Yes. Um, and again, I talked about it a bit last episode. I did some consulting on it, so not 100% comfortable doing even more talking about it. Um, <laughs> but hey, look at what's at number three. It, what it's is in, in this? It's in, in it, in it, which is the, the best game of the year. Uh, yeah, so I hear. Why is yep. it at number three then, Paul? Uh, in fact, oh snap, number three is where I put it. In fact, did I put Max vs. Minions at number No, I put Max vs. Minions at number five. I'm more in sync with our audience. Although, although you put Captain Sonar in your list and I didn't. And Captain Sonar is game number two. Captain Sonar is game number two, a sub co op. Uh, you know, team versus team, player hunting, torpedo shooting, mind dropping, scratching on the board. Hey, the hey captain, man. they're over here. We can't go this way. Uh, Paul, Paul, Paul. You know what I think? You know, I, you know, because our Captain Sonar review has done like really well. And I think it was the review that drove Captain Sonar into the public eye. Um, I hope so. I think it's going to be one of those games like Arctic Scavengers where they're going to release an expansion for it and we're going to be like, you're welcome. <laughs> I, wow. Honestly, I have no idea how the economics of board games work. I'm just, I choose to believe this stuff because it makes me happy. And You're quite sassy today. Do you, you know that? You would choose to deny that. Well, what can I say? We're wrapping up. I think it's your year. diet. I think you have to look at what you're eating. Uh, what did I? Ooh, I had a kind of a sassy lunch. I had did, a. There we I, go. I had a vegetarian ramen, but I asked them to use the stock from the, uh, the regular chicken stock from the chicken ramen. Whoa, wow. So where did you, you went somewhere and you had this and then you told them how to make their ramen? <laughs> no, I just asked, I requested, I said, can I have different stock? And they said, yes. Uh, mm. You don't approve, do you? Well, you, you know what? You're where, in the land you of the s- free now. You're in America, which is where you should. I, oh my word. I'm not in the land of the free or America. <laughs> You're in North America. So I I'm, I'm in Canada and the royal family turned up here a little while ago and I was so annoyed. <laughs> I forgot that they come here and they exist, even though they're on all the coins. And I was like, why are they here? Why does everyone think that they're great? Why is everyone really excited that... A balding man is walking around looking at things going, oh, that's nice. Mate, Isn't this nice? You have seen what's leaving. been going on with UK politics recently. Like, we were, it was cool to be annoyed at the monarchy in, like, the 80s and 90s when, you know, they were one of the worst things we had to complain about. But now, like, the royal family have been squarely moved to the dead middle of things I like versus things I'm annoyed about, you know? It's, I, they're, they're fine. They're okay. I just feel it's... A, bit old-fashioned and less exciting than other things <laughs> the monarchy old-fashioned how dare you arrest this man for treason <laughs> immediately oh dear uh so Num- yeah oh. number one should we just touch that number one with well, before our- we touch it should we Ooh. should we I, I just just talking to you now paul not the people at mm, home we need to me. approach with caution because not 
Not only is this a game we haven't reviewed, but it is my fault that we haven't reviewed it because in sort of my position as acting like king of review copies. Review commissioner. Yeah. Literally. Uh, yes, I am the person that you go through. And it's my fault that we haven't reviewed this. So our number one game of the Purple's Choice and the Shall I Sit Down community is Skith. I knew that you were going to say that. Skith, what? Pronounce it that way. Yeah, Scythe, Scythe, Scythe. <laughs> scythe, yeah. Uh, so if you're not aware about, if you're not aware of about uh, the best picture awards, then... <laughs> 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 uh, again dragged away from the Oscars um, so if you're not aware of Scythe this was a Stonemaier Games Kickstarter success story let's type into the microphone again I'm sorry at home everybody I mean in total fairness when things uh, initially when Kickstarter related stuff happens it's not at the top of our priority list because as we keep saying you know it's a game that people will have already bought or won't get won't be able to get hold of unless it gets wider distribution. Yeah, and we hinted at this in your Kingdom Death review, but the mad thing is that the people who email us going, can you review Scythe, are the people who've bought Scythe, and, like, and who play it and like it. And it's like, do you, like that's not who we do reviews just, for, dude. They just want our gentle approval. They want us kind of to all go to their houses and rub them and tell them that they're nice. It's that thing where people, when people talk about wanting politics in or out of movies, they're not saying they want politics. They want... People, they want things they agree with to be on the internet. You know, people they aren't want, telling us that. to do a side review; they're telling us to do a positive side review. They want that affirmation. Yes, they want uh, it. Um, anyway, so let's go back to the fact that we failed to cover what our audience think is the best game of the year. So this raised uh, this is what I was looking up: one point eight million dollars on Kickstarter. Yeah. Um, and as soon as I looked at it, I think I said as much in the news when it got announced. But this is a game that I think is like. Uh, uh, so the reason I approach Scythe so cautiously is I look at Scythe and to me it is, like Kingdom Death, um, an example of a game that has been designed for Kickstarter. Um, talking entirely frankly. I, I'm yeah. sure this, I'm sure it is you know, a, a good game. I'm going to play it. I'm going to find out. Of course I owe it that much. But um, you know, it has this beautiful art. It has you know, a touch of story, a touch of Eurogame, a touch of Wargame. And it's like Kingdom Death, um, the kind of game where while it is built it's got it's popularism, right? It's like people will look at this and go, oh, it's the best game ever. But if you took this game to publishers, I think they'd be wary. I think they'd say, well, you should remove this bit. Why is this bit in the game? And the answer for a Kickstarter game is because it sells on Kickstarter, but right. that isn't always what makes a great game. No, but I that's a really good point you you raise, and I like the way that you talk about that because there are certain things that that we know now connect really well with Kickstarter and Kickstarter's sort of community, the people who follow stuff, they get really excited about miniatures. Mm-hmm. Every Everything on Kickstarter that's miniatures related has, you know, some fairly good chance of raising some six or seven figure uh, sum and people will buy things if they have cool miniatures, partly because, and I suppose this makes sense, but partly because they can reuse the miniatures in just whatever else they want, whatever other tabletop gaming or uh, role-playing or whatever, I can or understand some, that. Or nothing at all, you know? I think the majority of people who backed the Dark Souls Kickstarter just wanted the miniatures and didn't even necessarily have an intention to buy the game. They're just going to put the miniatures that. on they their desk. Or that. They just want to have them possibly paint them their, as well. in their ear. I don't know, yeah. In the, why not in your ear? But no, you're absolutely right. There are certain very visual uh, cues that connect with people. And uh, to a degree, I'm sort of... 
I'm okay with that, I suppose, if you really want to buy a game that looks gorgeous and maybe is not the best game around, but it has lots of cool fiddly bits that you that you have tactile enjoyment with then i it's uh it's a free country and you can spend your money that way i suppose and i'm not it's not a thing that i terrible i feel terribly critical of i feel it takes the focus away from other more exciting or more original things but i guess it's giving board gaming generally a higher profile when the news is full of exciting kickstarters about board games Mm, i mean this is the funny thing it's not that it's not original i think it's a tremendously original idea for a game oh sorry if people don't know scythe um it is a uh it's essentially based on a famous artist who i saw uh, artist's work who i whose work i saw being shared on social media long before scythe was going around but um he does sort of um uh, eastern european uh i want to say well um illustrations yeah. but with um steampunk max so yeah, it's sort so of you like have... you please go, go on, ahead. sorry no you go <laughs> you you get these scenes of like um almost like early 20th century landscapes of people farming um looking like sort of uh maybe areas that you might associate with the ukraine or something like that and bears and the wilderness and then a giant kind of steam-powered robot or something in the background. Yes. All done uh, in a way that actually looks kind of convincing and marries those ideas with a certain amount of sort of authenticity that not everybody can pull off. Um, and then, so you then have this game, which is as sort of much of a blend of genres as the artwork is, where just as the art is steampunk, but also World War One uniforms uh, and also animals, the game is uh, worker placement, but it's also got elements of a war, well, not worker placement, but economic Euro game with elements of a war game. And then the maddest part is with story-driven cards, where you draw cards and it's a little event and you make a decision, um, which I would never say fits well into a Euro game that I necessarily, you know, like where I'm caring a great deal about figuring out the rigid rules of my environment. Um, and then the thing that meant I didn't end up chasing up Scythe, in addition to a previous, having some skewed availability in the UK, is just that people I know who didn't back the Kickstarter but just played it there were the opinions that I was looking for as to whether we should review it, and those were the people saying, it's good, it's not great. And good is not great is not doesn't just mean something that doesn't leap to the top of my review pile. And we had a lot of great games this year. Yeah, uh, fair enough. And th- that's another thing. We are always, always looking at piles of stuff to get through, and we we only have so much time and so much energy and so many limbs Mm. But, of course, you guys have rated it the number one board game um, of 2016, so that is absolutely something that we have to pay attention to, and we will unquestionably, assuming stock holds out, grab a copy early next year and give it a play and see what we think. Folk Game of the Month. So our folk game for this podcast comes all the way from benjamin in peru or certainly the game comes from peru and it comes from benjamin so i'm assuming benjamin's in peru well benjamin writes i'm not so sure anymore since maybe it's actually a sport in peru but i have a folk game when i was a callow youth working in a coffee shop there would be long lulls in business between morning and lunch which i and my fellow baristas would fill with a game we called husbands the object of the game as can be surmised from the title was to find a husband the catch 
Your pool of choices was limited to the next three men who walked past the shop window. Even worse, you had to choose the one correct currently walking past or pass. If you hadn't chosen one by the time the third man walked past, then he was your selection by default. A key part of the selection process was making snap decisions about the nature of the hapless fellow and the kind of marriage it would be. Maybe this isn't a game so much as judging people, and then an excellent shrugging emoji that's made of like 10 characters. Vitally, this game is husbands, not wives, whether players are male or female. I guess we thought women were judged enough. Love the site, love the podcast, thanks for making it. Best, Benjamin. Benjamin. Oh my, I, I, is this a faux game or is this just something that we did at school? I think I just did this at school to some Wait, degree. Like with other people also playing with you or just looking out the window and thinking about which women you would marry <laughs> no no with other people playing i i mean i remember at one point um like walking into school walking through the doors uh like i was about 11 walking through like the side doors of the school building to uh where our our tutor classroom was and people laughing because i was the person who had come through that door at that point and therefore i'd been oh. selected as some as I can't remember, I think it was was it Alan King? I was going to be Alan King's husband. Wait, who's Alan was, King? He was a, a guy in the class who's not. A, you don't want to marry Alan. None of us want to marry Alan King. <laughs> Poor Alan I don't know King. where he is now, what he's up to. But yeah, um, you know, I do something uh, similar with uh, with my wife if we're watching like David At- uh, not David Attenborough's Planet Earth, but the BBC's Planet- Animals. <laughs> you have to have the next animal you see will be your pet or well, your spirit animal. No, we will watch an episode of Planet Earth, and we have to pick one of the like six or so animals that are profiled throughout the hour-long episode to like live among them as a sort of like or be them it's never it's never really clear but like you never want to be like you know a, a gross bug that lives in a cave but if you haven't made the decision by the final segment if it's a gross bug you're stuck as that gross bug so you know wow. you're looking at like a mountain leopard um or a man and you're thinking well it looks really cold and boring but you are a cool cat. But you're always hungry. It's it's a difficult game. It's basically yeah, actually, I really like the idea of doing that with animals. Well, but it is interesting, isn't it? This this game has clearly travelled far and wide. But how awesome that it might have originated somewhere so far from home, or it reached somewhere far from home. Either way, it's great. Um, this is a return to Benjamin's game, though. I think this game is awesome. I think this is actually like a pretty refined version of the game, um, especially just having to. Isn't that I know I know it's judgy, but also just to have to look at someone and have to guess their personality from like not even being able to look at a picture of them, but they're walking past the shop for like what four seconds or something. Yeah. So you have to be like, I, uh, he looks kind. Yes, I'll marry him. I don't think it necessarily has to be that judgy either. I think it can be okay. I am depending on like the people that you're with and generally sort of how you play or how you talk about people. I think it's it could be amusing and perfectly pleasant for you know you to be sat with a couple of friends in a coffee shop it's the people watching is the phrase that i hear a lot yes is a phrase i hear used to describe this sort of thing and i have i people watched with friends where i don't really sort of tend to say that much i prefer listening to other people but i've certainly got friends who will find kind of amusing and kind and irreverent things to say about the people that they see walking past and it'll be like a short snippet of dialogue or a short window into their life. And I don't think it has to be like judgy or unpleasant at all. I think it can be done in a way that's just amusing or like a a cool take on what you see somebody doing and and the tiny 
insight that gives you either into into their life or into your imagination of their life but I'm, well, I'm kind of okay with that kind of thing i mean i don't think uh, as the word has negative connotations but you can judge people kindly all the time you can be a kindly I think and, so. and uh, benevolent judge who's like oh this person probably has a really cool collection of like coins but you know we'd sell them when we're 40 for a lot of money what i do really <laughs> what i think is the coolest thing about this game even though mechanically i think it's awesome and it's tons of fun and just you can play it anywhere great but um what I think is best is that as a folkloric piece, it's not like he was in the, his coffee shop with his colleagues and he was like, oh, let's play a game where we look at three women walking past or whatever. Not that I'm making like an assumption on his uh, sexuality, but like the way he makes it sounds is that, no, this game is called Husbands. You play, you know, you look for a husband. Like it didn't even occur to them to change it. Or if it yeah. did, they chose not to because it was far more important to like maintain the integrity of this game that had been played for generations. I think that's great. I'm okay with that. I think that's funny as well, to a degree, because it could be something that you you never would otherwise think about. Yes. Uh, yeah. I mean, I, actually, oh, topically, I play a similar game with this um, by myself. There's a solo variant on this folk game that I can tell the people about, um, which is played on escalators. Um, if you're on busy escalators, like coming out of the London Tube or in an airport or something, when you're going up the escalator, you've got a down escalator coming uh, that's sort of carrying essentially a line of people past you, right? Yes. You have to pick someone to marry in that line, but they have to be passing. Like, once they've gone past your shoulder, they're voided. So it's kind of exactly like this, but a hardcore speed, like a speedrun version. You know, you've got lots of people coming, but, you know, they might all be bad. So, you know, it's it's your own, like, where your own sound is like. And then once you've made your decision, of course, you've got the rest of the escalator ride to be like, ah, oh, should have married that woman there or that, you know, I could have just settled down with that dog. It's too late. Uh, it's too, too late. late. You've made your call. The uh, the sort of older accountant-looking woman is is yours. <laughs> Quickly run down the escalator and tell her. Yeah. she'll. I mean, she probably made the same choice going the other way. She's probably playing the same game. <laughs> oh, my God, imagine. That's like a magical realist novel waiting to happen. You know what? If we ever get... When we put a bunch of shut up and sit down people in the same place, this is all that they're going to be thinking about. Is what they're all going to be unconsciously doing as they pass each other in corridors or up and down stairs or things. Well, uh, at Gen Con this year, we played a particular folk game. We played Moneyheads, didn't we? Uh, unfortunately, the recording of that was uh, was not usable, but we played uh, competitive Moneyheads. Uh, that, and that got kind of vicious. It did. It was excellent. I enjoyed it a lot. Um, but if, you know, for some reason in 2017, we have a lot of uh, Shut Up and Sit Down fans in one place. Uh, I don't know Who knows? Who knows why? But um, what would be great is if I we should we should theoretically do a folk game world championships, like <gasps> unquestionably. Just take like like the Olympics of folk games, basically. What a good idea. I'm full of good ideas, man. But no, this is like something I've wanted yeah, to do for are. a while. Yeah, you are. That's true. And it is unquestionably like... But the idea of playing uh, this husband's game at like a super high competitive level would be great. You'd have to play loads of rounds to deal with the random chance variant. <laughs> oh my... All right, sorry. My, my mind is immediately going to all the things that could happen. Yes, all the, the sexiest ones would... Ah, oh, dude, I got an email this week. Um, I'm talking sexy folk games. Do you remember that um, um, uh, folk game we talked about uh, a couple of podcasts ago where it's the Norwegian one where um, the, the wives have to identify their husband's feet? Oh, yes. Oh, so God. I, an email came into the Shut Up and Sit Down uh, email address from a guy... I can't even remember what country he came from. 
Um, but he said that when he was a teenager, he played a sexier version of this game where as someone is blindfolded and has to identify like their friends by their ass. So the friends all stand on chairs and turn around and then you're blindfolded. You're a blindfolded teenager and you walk down and you have to um, hold the baturks oh. of uh, different people and then figure out who it is. I but, guess if if you are playing that and everyone is comfortable and they you know they 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 know how that works and they're consenting to it then then there you go I, I don't know if well, Paul, I would play that <laughs> this is a story with a sad ending I'm afraid because uh, the uh, gentleman who wrote in to tell me he used to play this game um, said they had to stop playing it when uh, the dumb thing became for one of the contestants to turn around. Uh, and uh, remove uh, his uh, gentleman vegetable from oh its no house. Uh, oh and, no! And the blindfolded uh, contestant would accidentally cop a grope of no. The oh no! Jehuza Watsits. Yeah. Oh so, no! Thank you all very much for listening to the Shut Up and Sit Down podcast, everybody. Uh, if you would like to send us a folk game that you play, you know what I want to hear about in 2017. We've had all the sexy folk games, we've had all the church folk games. What about what are the games that you play in your place of work, in your career? If you're an astrophysicist, if you're a gardener, if you're a cake maker, chef, whatever, a waiter, what are the games you play at work that are unique to your profession? Because you know we've done our we've done our world tour of all the creepy stuff played in churches the world over now. I think we've done enough of those. I want to get more specific. I'm so traumatized. Are you still thinking about I this? I can't. I, oh, because I, again, I'm still thinking of like the dumb stuff you do at school and the things that the kids do when they're younger. And I, this is this not a game I ever played, but I, oh, just the, ah, oh, I can't. <laughs> Pranks that people play on each other, the things that they, ah, oh, ah. Oh. I can't remember the last time a prank was played on me. I, uh, it's just one of those things you forget how to do, mercifully so, when we're adults. Um, but yeah, so if you've got a folk game, if you've got uh, just a letter, uh, if you've got a picture, we put um, your images in the news on Monday. Uh, yes, good, good. I think we're done, aren't we, Paul? I I need, I really, like for, for you, it's near the end of the day. For me, it's not because of the time difference. It's it's nearly like we started this at about 10 a.m. I like the rest of my day is ruined. I'll be honest with you. It's I'm done. I'm going to go back to bed and draw the, the blinds. And I this is it. I, is this I, like the do, movie The Danish or? Girl where I've given you like a sort of uh, I've I've revealed unto you a side of yourself that you did not know was there. And then like by this time tomorrow, you're going to be like, organizing a game of this on craigslist i mm, i don't know i've got a whole unopened bottle of schnapps in the cupboard mm. which is good, uh, uh goldschlager ah yes and uh, with the gold I, leaf in it with a tiny amount of gold leaf which is apparently worth about half a euro really i didn't know it was yeah there's much. about half a euro's worth of gold in each one and it's because gold gold is you know not cheap but there's such a tiny amount in it um that it's still visible, but it's it's not very expensive. Oh, there's, there's a fun thing to do of drinking like half a euro's worth of gold. I always assumed it had like nominal value. That's great. I, what a, it, what well, a good it, beverage. It's sort of nominal value, I guess. But, you know, I just might need all of that now today to get through the rest of the day. 
really. <laughs> Crack it open, tis the season. Thank you very much for listening, everybody. The Shut Up and Sit Down podcast will return in January 2017. You bet it will. Bye. Bye. So our folk game for this podcast comes all the way from Benjamin in Peru, or certainly the game comes from Peru, and it comes from Benjamin, so I'm assuming Benjamin's in Peru? Does that make sense? Am I, Sorry, I'm, not... I... <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to edit that out. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> I just had a period of silence and I just I don't even wanna don't spoil the magic. I don't want to know what was happening. Oh god, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs>